Our passage this week comes from Job chapter 30. Job chapter 29, 30, and 31. Uh, he is making his final appeal unto the Lord. In chapter 29, he, had, he recounted his former blessings of the Lord, his benefits, his kindnesses that he experienced, the righteousness in which he behaved, uh, thanks to the Lord's grace and mercy to him. Uh, but if that were still the case with Job, there had been no book of Job. And so we get in chapter 30, Job's complaint, his changed circumstances. Uh, and in chapter 31, we'll get his prayer unto the Lord uh, and, and his request. Before I read, though, this passage this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading, but also the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask in the name of Christ that you would fulfill the promise of Christ in giving us your Holy Spirit, that he may take what is his own, these words that he inspired, and write them on our heart, and thereby point us to the Savior. We ask, dear Lord, that, uh, that these words would not return unto you void, but that our hearts, by the inworking of your Holy Spirit, would be prepared to receive them, that we would be humbled and teachable as we approach them, that our uh, understanding would be enlarged, and that our vision of faith would be open to see your works even in hard circumstances, and that we might know, that we might know what crosses we may bear, but that we would also remember that we bear them in the love of Jesus Christ, who has promised to hold us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the book of Job, chapter 30. But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me, in whom old age was perished? For want and famine they were solitary, uh, flying into the wilderness in former time desolate and waste, who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat. They were driven forth from among men, they cried after them as after a thief, to dwell in the clefts of the valleys, in caves of the earth and in the rocks, among the bushes they brayed, and under the nettles they were gathered together. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. And now I am their song. Yea, I am their byword. They abhor me, they flee far from me, and spare not to spit in my face. Because he hath loosed my cords and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. Upon my right hand rise the youth, they push away my feet, and they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path, they set forward my calamity, they have no helper in doing so. They came upon me as a wide breaking in of waters. In the desolation they rolled themselves upon me. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind, and my welfare passeth away as a cloud. 
and now my soul is poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me. My bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my disease is my garment changed. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He hath cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel to me. With thy strong hand thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up as to the wind, and thou causest me to ride upon it, and dissolveth my substance. For I know that thou wilt bring me to death, and in the house appointed for all living. Howbeit he will not stretch out his hand to the grave, though they cry in his destruction. Did I not weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of my affliction prevented me. I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and I cried in the congregation. I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burnt with heat. My heart also is turned to mourning and my organ into the voice of them that weep. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. That was the great wisdom of, of the preacher who was King Solomon, the wisest of the kings of Israel and Jerusalem. But with all due respect to Solomon, he spoke this from a wisdom that he got through philosophy, through reflection, through understanding, and through uh, experimentation. But he did not have this knowledge quite the same way that Job had it by experience. In chapter 29, we have uh, the statement, a statement that could not be gainsayed by his friends, a statement that was true and self-evidently true, of not only his righteousness with others, but the respect that that righteousness endured for him. That princes and, and the aged men recognized their wisdom and stopped their mouth to him. That the young men would hide themselves from him that, they, he, that he might know their, not know their folly. That he had amongst them such a natural authority, not one based on arbitrary lineage or anything of that sort, but one that was uh, such respectful and such gravity amongst them that he was as if he was their general, their king. Uh, He had all the authority that anybody in a position of power would want simply because people recognized the wisdom that was in him. And of course, this wisdom was such that prospered him also in the endeavors of his hands, in his commerce, in his flocks, in his uh, children. And he had everything that he could want. He thought that his life was uh, was perfect in the... And he wasn't even 
unlike so many, that material blessings are a snare, how hard it is for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Not so Job. Job was holy. Job was righteous. Job was concerned for the, the, the welfare and the spiritual life of his children. He recognized that what he had was the Lord's blessing, his secret of God that was upon his tabernacles, chapter 29, 4. And so he felt that that he was going to coast into death uh, in a very pleasant state. Verse 18 of that chapter, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. That was the statement of chapter 24. But then these mournful words in the very first verse of chapter 30. But now. Now it's different. Now it is not pleasant. Uh, Diana Risher was among us and she wrote a book, But God. And the theme of that book was the, 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 the expectations of man and the dire straits that they would get into. But God would change things. But God would be there to, to, to take and prosper where none looked for prosperity. To make holy where none looked for holiness. To be merciful where none looked for mercy. But God also works in other ways as well. And here where Job knew full well the blessing of the Lord... He was now going to to experience his affliction, and there was a great deal in the change of in the change of Job's prosperity. Uh, in, if you just go through the the verses, uh, he was despised by worthless men. They're described in verses two through uh, through through ten, really uh, through through eight, and uh, they were those that were. In the, his day, they were those that were not even worthy to be uh, to matched with his dogs of his flock. Uh, they were useless. They they had no skill, and they had in their old age wasn't even old age. They were uh, men that were that grew up into basically a perpetual childhood. They were the ne'er do wells. Uh, if you know, I have. Part of my family comes from a near-to-well type family. They eventually came out of it. The Lord is merciful and gracious. But there are all those that we know that, that just, they have no sense. Or if they do have sense, they don't use it for good reason. And everything that they do is, is turn to, uh, if not iniquity, to foolishness and laziness or sloth and and nothing that contributes to society. They were those that were driven out into the caves and, and into the wilderness. And because they were such worthless people, they didn't farm that land or try to make something out of that land. They just had to, to live off the reeds and the rushes and the roots there. And if they came into town, there was a, a, the hue and cry was lifted up to run them out of town as thieves. Verse 5. And these people are now looking at Job as one that was beneath them. Verses 9 and 10. I am their song. I am their byword. Uh, They do not think at all to spit in my face and turn their uh, face from me. How different this is from 
verses 8 through 10 of 29, the young men saw me and hid themselves. The aged arose and stood up and to respect me. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the root of their mouth. Or 21, unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. After my words they spoke not again, and my speech dropped upon them, and they waited as for the rain. They hungered for my wisdom as the mouth for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. In the light of my countenance, they would not cast down. I chose out their way, and I set chief among them, and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforted the mourners. That's what he was. But now he was a byword and a joke and a song and the scorn of jackals and ne'er-do-wells and the basis of base men in the wilderness. And not only was he that, but a, a scorn, but they didn't even shrink back from assaulting him and, and bullying him and playing with him, almost as if, if you've ever been to... Um, this is not going to be politically correct, but if you ever been to a, a third world country and, and uh, the, the, the street urchins come and they go and they want something, but if they don't get what they want, they are with each other, they'll turn quite violent. This is the picture that Job is casting up of his own situation. Upon my right side hand rise the youth and they push away at my feet. And they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forth my calamity. And they don't even have a helper in it. They don't need to. They don't fear that they're going to be harmed by me. And they come upon me as a wide breaking of waves. In the desolation they roll themselves upon me. So he's not just scorned. He's assaulted. And, and they do this because God himself is afflicting him. Uh, the wicked take God's affliction as a license to themselves afflict. Verse 11. Because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they also have let loose the bridle before me. Because God is afflicting them, therefore they think we are at leave to afflict. Now, God gave them no such license. But this is the way they do. This is the way bullies and, 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 and uh, th- this sort of folk always do. And they do it upon Job. David also experienced such a thing. And uh, you could almost get summarize this chapter in Psalm 35. Psalm 38 does as well. But we'll stick with Psalm 35 verses 11 uh, through 16. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for my good. To the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I have behaved as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But, by, but in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects, that is, the base people, gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers of feast, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. In my adversity, they took advantage of me. When you are in adversity and trouble, I mean, one of the things we fear about getting into trouble is that we will be made, uh, uh, that we will be opening the spigot, as it were. 
that once uh, trouble gets into the tent, like the nose into the perpetual, the, the, the proverbial camel into the tent, once he gets the nose in there, he's going to end up in there altogether. And once one person afflicts us, that one of our great fears, because we know it to be true, we know it to be human nature, is that we will be then the scorn, not just of one or two people, we might deserve their scorn or whatever, but that we will be made the scorn of all. And this was certainly Job's, not just Job's fear, but Job's experience. But not only did he experience misery at the hands of his neighbors, because he puts the base here uh, as, as the sort of the lesser ex- includes the greater. Even the basest of sorts scorn me, how much more the greater people scorn me. But then he also had personal terrors. Terrors are turned upon me. They, that is the terrors, pursue my soul as the wind. My welfare passes as a cord. My soul is poured out upon me. It's like water and it's uh, washing away. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. My bones are pierced in me in the night season and my sinews take no rest. The idea is he can't get any rest, not just because of the boils on his skin, but because of the anxiety, the, the fear, the misery... Uh, it's we've 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 gone to bed and and had times of worry in our life or our sadness and even our bones seem to just tickle and and to to ache and I just want to stretch out and and get that worked out and it doesn't because the body and the soul are intimately related and he fills the misery of his soul also in his body his disease has even changed his garments and sticking it to him. It's gross. Um, and the Lord has cast him into the mire, into the dirt and the ashes. This, this compared to what he expected of the Lord, verses 18 through 20, verse 29, I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root was spread out by the waters and the dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me every moment, and my bow was renewed in my hand. And now the Lord has mashed him into the dirt and mashed him into the ashes. And he perceives no grace or mercy from the Lord, but rather apathy and cruelty. I cry unto thee, you don't hear me. I stand up, you don't regard me. You have become cruel to me with thy strong hand. Thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up to the wind and thou causest me to ride upon it and dissolves my substance. That imagery, by the way, is the imagery of, of willowing the wheat, causing it up. They would toss it into the air and the chaff is so light that it would be cast upon the wind and it was junk. It was to be discarded. It was to, to go away. It mattered not. And... Job feels like he is the chaff in God's winnowing uh, floor. He's being cast up off the ground to get rid of him. So he perceives no mercy. This compared then to 2 and 4 of chapter 29. When God preserved me, his candle shone on my head. By his light I walked through darkness. I was... In the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, things changed. Now, we should understand that Job is speaking here from his perceptions. 
This is how he perceives God to be behaving toward him. He is not without hope in God, but he is speaking in his prayer to God from his perceptions and not his faith. We already see that he has faith, that God will vindicate him, that God will in some form or fashion come to his aid. Although this might be and probably will be after his death and his reckoning, then this is how he comforts himself in verse 23 and 24. I know that thou will bring me to death, that I will not know your peace until I die. But when I do, you will not stretch out your hand to afflict me in the grave. Though others cry in their destruction, that then I would have peace. But right now, dear Lord, I only know your cruelty and your apathy. Give me to know otherwise. Give me to to experience differently. Because even though I, I, I am beginning to perceive by faith that you have even these hard things that you are working good in my life, nevertheless, I am miserable. And it doesn't look like you are healing me. It doesn't look like you are listening to me. It doesn't look like you are vindicating me. That is, by the way, the great conundrum that you and I have in this present world. We have to live by faith. And sometimes we can't see the mercy of God. We get tempted on ourselves. We, we get preoccupied with the crosses that we bear and forget that the Lord is even in those circumstances being quite kind to us. Job is arguing with the Lord, and by the way, he wouldn't argue with the Lord unless he had faith that the Lord would ultimately hear him, though he didn't perceive it. Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, then evil came upon me. And when I waited for the light, there came in darkness. He knows the ways of the Lord. What we would know by Solomon in Proverbs 19.17, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he repay him again. Jesus himself, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. James, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy, but mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Have I not been merciful, says Job? Have I not been kind to the poor? Have I not given? Where is that payment that you will give to me again? Now these are revelations that came after Job's time, but he clearly knows the way of the Lord. He's clearly arguing from his own mercy, not that that makes him worthy of God's mercy, but that those were the promises of God to those that were merciful. Why is it that I, who is merciful, now am denied it, not only by those who really owe it to me, but even you, O Lord, who have been merciful and have promised mercy. And we notice he ends this chapter in verses 27 through 31, talking about his afflictions, the, the language of 29, uh, modern translations generally take the dragon to be jackals and therefore translate it that way. Animals are hard to get right in, um, the, uh, in, in, in the ancient Hebrew. Uh, there have always been some uh, things about that, but uh, it, it, dragons can actually be a proper translation of that, uh, as can jackals. But the point is is that these were things that howled in misery in the wilderness. In other words, 
Remember those base men at the beginning that were driven out of the towns and into the cliffs uh, and, and made all the more? Well, Job now finds himself who isn't a base man in his integrity in the same situation as one that has been made a miserable outcast. That's Job's That is Job's situation. This is Job's situation that his three friends are looking as evidence that he must have deserved it and must have been a wicked man and that his cries of mercy because he was merciful must be lies, even though they have no other evidence to it. And we need to recognize that this is something that happened to a man that God himself declared was perfect before him. And verse, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And God is willing to bring this man, even were it by bare permission, but nevertheless to bring this man into a state of abject misery, not only of body, but of soul. To even bring this man to the point where he feels like God is ignoring him and being cruel to him. And one of the lessons that we need to learn and get... I mean, it's easy to get this lesson in a sort of a proverbial way, but we, sometimes, we, we very rarely reflect on just how extensive it is that comfort and prosperity are vanities. They're fleeting things in this world. And this is certainly true of material prosperity. We read in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, of the rich man that had a great increase in his uh, 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 crops and was going to tear down his barns and build new ones and was satisfied that he could rest and be relaxed and enter into retirement. And the Lord says, Thou fool. Today your soul will be required of you. And thus, we ought to take the warning of those that are rich in the things of this world and are not rich toward God. The Lord's creation is His creation. It's at His disposal. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14 says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, Appreciate it. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Should he know that there is nothing that he can count on that God makes, as he says in Isaiah 45, 7, God creates the good and he creates the evil. Or we might translate that the calamitous. And therefore, we are not to set our hearts on them. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, uh, Lay not for, up for yourselves treasures on earth where uh, moth and rust destroy and thieves break through or steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust destroy and neither do thieves break through and steal. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. are from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
verse 17 and 18 through 19, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth richly all things, rest uh, richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to share. Our first John chapter two verses fifteen through seventeen. Little love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away. And the lust thereof, they pass away too. But he that doeth the will of the God abideth forever. So it's certainly true that, that material blessings are fleeting blessings. But what we need to understand also is that even spiritual blessings in this world, in this life, are also fleeting things. This is what what Job is complaining about in verse 20 through 22. I cry unto thee, you do not hear me. I stand up, you regard me not. You have become cruel against me. He goes on to talk about how he is willowed like the chaff. The Lord will bring his blessings to, to an end sometimes to you. Now, not eternal blessings. And when he does so, it's for our ultimate blessing... I mean, we look at Job's life. The whole point of the book is that though Job didn't know God's blessing, know what Job was go- God was going to do, that nevertheless, jo- God held him in his hands and he did good to Job. But it was secret good. It was good behind the scenes. It's good that Job couldn't understand until God revealed himself to him. There are times when that smile of God is hidden from us behind a cloud, as it were. And usually that's to drive us closer to Him. In Psalm chapter 30, or it's not Psalm chapter, but the 30th Psalm, Psalm 30, verses 6 through 10, and David's experience. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Not unlike Job. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. But then what happened? Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. So what did I do? I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. And David goes on to say, Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing. But we see in this passage how the Lord used that crown to draw David closer unto him. To, to bring him closer in. And, and it was all for his ultimate blessing. It was designed to point past the perceptions so that we might see the substantial reality of our faith. So that we might not just believe it over here and kind of hope it's true, but that we would cling to it as our very life. Job has already experienced this. 1925, I know that my Redeemer liveth 
and that at the latter day he shall stand upon the dust and ashes, and I will see him with my own eyes even after the worms eat this body. That was, that was not just at that point a nice little doctrine of faith, but that was his life and his only hope and his sustaining power of it. It's easy for us to, to, to take our faith and it be just something upon the shelf. It be one of the nice little things, the spices of our life, something that gives a little bit of variety, a little bit of hope, a little bit of comfort. But it's not that. Just like God is not one God amongst gods, but He is the only God, and He is a jealous God, and we will not let us bow down to any other spiritual power, however great it be, because none is God like God. Just so. Christ is put for your Savior as the only name by which you will be healthy and saved and have reconciliation with God, and there is no other And there is no other life besides eternal life. And there is no other hope besides that hope. And you have to cling to it as not just some decoration and description of your life, but as your life. And sometimes so that we might know that experientially. And by experience, He hides from us the experience of His blessings. That we might know how valuable that is. That we might be only Christ's. That we might have our hope only in Him. That's what He was doing with Job. That's what He does with us. So helps for this. First, one of the best helps. The, the, the great divine help. Is the fact that you will not suffer this or any bad term. In isolation. Now, you may be alone in the world, but you will not be isolated because your Savior has gone before you in this. He has borne this cross himself. Is I mean, we get his material blessings turned. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he is surrounded not only by children, but by pilgrims from Galilee and other great men and women of the age laying down palm branches and coats before him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And even the great and powerful Sanhedrin, because of the natural authority that he had riding into Jerusalem, had their hands tied and could not act against him. That was on Sunday. By Friday, the Sanhedrin had figured some things out. And they were able to instigate the crowds to crucify him. Crucify him. Let his blood be on us. We have no king but Caesar. But that wasn't the worst cross that Christ bore. Christ, who considered it his very meat and life and delight to do his Father's will, on that Friday was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just quoting scripture so that others would know that he knew his Bible, he was giving vent 
to the misery of his soul because his father, who was his life, he perceived no longer in the flesh and knew nothing but God's judgment and cruelty against sin, which he had vicariously taken upon himself. Christ understood the vanity of vanities and the changes of fortune and understood the good that could be done by it. And has given his praise and promise to us that if we would follow him and know his victory and know his communion with God the Father, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. But the time to prepare for a drought, the time to, per- uh, to prepare for a calamity, is in a season of plenty and a season of blessing. Create and maintain the integrity of a good conscience. One of the things that sustained Job in his misery was that he knew his conscience was clean. Verse 25. Did I not weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, evil came to me. But he's, he knows that there is something more there because of his good conscience. We need to learn how riches are deceitful and how they pass and how they slip through the fingers like water no matter how much and how good we prepare, how well we are at whatever it is that we do, how productive we may be. There are bad turns. There are wicked actors in the world that will take from you. So learn how deceitful riches can be, that they're not stable, that they're not eternal things. So you won't be fooled. But most importantly, get to know the Lord's presence now in prayer. In his prosperity, Job knew the secret of the Lord, 29.4. He knew that secret blessing. He communed with him. He was present unto him. And as awful as it was to have God turned against him, at least he knew what it was to be God's favored child. At least he knew what it was to actually be in the Lord's presence. At least he knew what it was to be blessed by the Lord, so he knew what to hope for, he knew what to seek, he knew what to cling to. But if in our prosperity we take for granted the Lord's blessing and the Lord's blessing turn against us, how will we know what to long for? How will we know what we're missing? And how will then we be, how earnest will we be to get back into those good graces? Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity under the sun. But the end of all wisdom is to fear the Lord and do his will. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask by his grace, by his example, by his intercession on our behalf, and by his command that went before us, that we might bear whatever cross you bring, that we might know even in the midst of that your mercy and your goodness to us, 
and that we might persevere in our faith and trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.